The prophet Isaiah proclaims, With joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. May the Holy Spirit restore to our lives a thirst that can only be quenched in the blessings found from God. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, a thirsty woman, a blind beggar, a grieving sister. The next three weeks, we'll see these different people and how they encounter Jesus. And as we look at each encounter, we'll see that we really are not so different. We are thirsty. We are about many things blind. And we grieve. And so today, we meet the Samaritan woman. And like Nicodemus last week, she had been schooled to think in a certain way. But her teachers weren't rabbis. Her teachers were the Jews, her fellow Samaritans, and the people who she rubbed elbows with every day. And what she had been taught was this. You're trash. You're garbage. You're not welcome with the respectable people. Why was this? Well, there are three reasons, three strikes, perhaps. First was that she was a Samaritan, a native, as we heard from Sychar, Samaria. And the Jews considered Samaritans as half-breeds. Jews who long ago had intermarried with those who were not Jews, and so now were unclean, unworthy. People to be avoided. In fact, a good Jew wouldn't even enter into Samaria. If he had to get from Jerusalem to Galilee, since Samaria was in the middle, he would purposefully go out of his way to head east, cross the Jordan, travel north on that side of the river, then recross the Jordan into Galilee once he got clear of Samaria. Now, you could argue that Samaritans could just ignore that stereotype imposed upon them by the Jews, but it still leaves a mark. It's still demeaning. It's hard to hear that all your life and not believe it, at least somewhat. That's strike one. Strike two is the fact that this woman had five husbands, and the man she was now with was not her husband. Now, we're not told why this happened or what history there was with this. Was it her fault? Did she use up and spit out husbands? Or was it the fault of the men that she had married? Had they taken advantage of her over and over again, and now she was afraid to marry again? But it really doesn't matter, though. She was used goods, not marriage material. And then finally, we learn that not only were the men rejecting her, but so were the women of Sychar. For she goes out to the well about the sixth hour, or 12 noon. A time when the sun is high in the sky and it's hot. Not the usual time for carrying heavy loads of water. For that, you go early in the morning or late in the afternoon when it's not so hot. When the sun is just coming up or just about to go down. That's when all the other women would go to draw the water. So that tells us something. It tells us she wasn't welcome at those times. She had to go when no one else was there. Strike three. 
She was Samaritan trash, used up garbage, an outcast among outcasts. And so you can imagine how lonely she was, how lonely of an existence this was, and how she had been trained to think about herself. This is who she was. There was no going back. There was no changing things. Do you know people like that? Maybe you've even thought that way about yourself. An outcast. Not welcome. Taught to think that you're not worth anything or that you'll never amount to anything. And so now you can imagine how Jesus turned her life and her thinking completely upside down. This thirsty woman came to the well that day looking for water, but Jesus offered her something much more. Living water, he called it. It doesn't spell out all the details here, but in this case, it included a gracious mix of forgiveness, community, and restoration. Jesus didn't reject her. He didn't just use her or want something from her. Instead, Jesus wanted to give to her. And give to her, he did. Living water. Water of forgiveness. Water of life. Water of hope. Water that would not run out or disappoint, but would give her what no one or nothing else could. Water that would raise her from her life of living death to a real life and love. That's what Jesus wanted for her. Jesus also claimed to be greater than their father Jacob, who had given them that very well so many years ago and drank from it himself. This place really was like a shrine. But we need to realize something else about Jacob. This well was where, when he first came to that place, Jacob met his wife, Rachel. That story would have been well known to the Samaritans who revered Jacob and his well. And now, it was like it was now happening again, only greater. For this man claimed to be greater than Jacob. Although she was no Rachel, no beautiful young maiden, but had been through so much. But regardless, he's talking to her and giving to her. And he claims to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, her Savior. And from that moment on, her thinking is changed. She isn't trash. She isn't garbage. She isn't an outcast. She isn't that at all. Here was something none of the other six men could give her. Real love, pure love, life-changing love. And so excited is she that in the verses right after our reading today, she rushes back to town to tell everyone what had happened. To tell everyone about her Savior. But it doesn't end there, of course. For while we don't know anything else about this woman, we do know more about Jesus. That from that well, he would eventually go to the cross. 
There, he would be thrown onto the trash heap of Golgotha as an outcast himself, just like her. And at the sixth hour, the same hour when the light of Jesus' love shone upon that woman, is when the sun stopped shining that day when Jesus was crucified. And then, in a little while, Jesus himself would say, I thirst. It's almost like he took her place. Everything she was, he became. And that's exactly what happened. And not just for her, but brothers and sisters in Christ, for you too. Everything we are, he became. Jesus became the sinner that we are so that we may become the son of God that he is. And just like with that woman, Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all of your sin. Yes, even the deepest and darkest and most shameful ones. But he still loves you and wants you to be his. He doesn't overlook or ignore those sins. Instead, he takes all of our sin upon himself suffers the full wrath of God that that sin deserves and gives us forgiveness, gives us his perfect righteousness. Not because we earned it, but as we heard in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why he came to earth. That's why he came to the Samaritan well, and it's why he comes here for you to give you his living water. Water of forgiveness, water of life, water of hope. And to lay down his life for you, to give his blood for you. Blood of forgiveness, blood of life, blood of hope. And also this too, to make you his bride. That just as Jacob met his bride by a well, and just as Jesus wanted that Samaritan woman to be his, not physical, but spiritual bride, so he wants you to be his bride. The blood and water that flowed from his side on the cross, washing you clean and giving you drinks so that you may never thirst again, and have within you a faith and a love that wells up to eternal life. That as his bride, the church... All that is yours became his, and all that is his became yours. He takes all of your sin, all of your unrighteousness, all your punishment and condemnation, and you, you get all his perfection, all his righteousness, all his forgiveness. A great exchange. Because what do we hear from St. Paul? It wasn't for the beautiful and the righteous, the good people. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still ugly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our Jacob came to make the sinner clean. To make the ugly beautiful. To make the outcast his bride. That just as this woman, you would learn too. 
that you would know this truth, that you're not trash. You are not garbage. You are a child of God, dearly loved, forgiven, raised, made new. And so do you think that then will affect how we look at others as well? Both those the world honors and those the world would seek to throw away. Both those the world say are valuable and those think the world think will never amount to anything. How could it not? And we who have received such life from Jesus, his living water, his forgiveness, his love, how could we not give that now to others? That's what we mean when we say here, grace happens here, right? That every time we gather here together in God's house around his gifts of word and sacrament, grace happens. We're given his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. And we're equipped then by the Holy Spirit to go forth from here and be people through whom grace happens. As we go out into our families, our communities, our lives, and share that very same grace Mercy, love, and forgiveness. All too often when people talk about church, it's almost as if being uh, the church and, and being a believer is a drain on them. A drain on them to attend worship and Bible study more, to give more of their time and money, to serve more, to do more. But the truth is, Jesus desires to give. And give and give and continually give of his amazing gifts. We are called to live a life of continual drawing from the well of salvation. We can never go to the well too often. And so this Lenten season, we get a wonderful opportunity to get our story straight. We hear once again how we have have been and continue to be restored, renewed, and refreshed in Christ. Our new and greater Jacob is here. That's what the Samaritan woman learned that day. And it's the best news of all. That when it comes to God, it's not your beauty that makes the difference, but rather his love for the outcast, his forgiveness for the sinner, and his life for the dead. God bestows on us his grace and love to make us the church, the bride of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we draw from the well of salvation and rejoice in our lives of love and grace to eternal life given to us through Christ. Amen.